Go get them, Gabe. All right. Well, good morning again. My name is Robert. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. Glad that you're here. We've been going this, uh, through a, a series this uh, semester called Path to Paradise. And we've been saying that we were made in and for paradise. We ha- have lost paradise, and now God is in the process of regaining that paradise for us. And one of the ways to think about that journey of paradise, paradise lost, paradise regained, paradise restored, is this idea of covenants, that God makes these covenants along the way that that are like milestones on this journey. And when we we stand at these covenants, we can kind of look back at everything that led up to that covenant, and then we can look forward in terms of the implication of that covenant. And you too have, have experiences in your life that are kind of like that. They're like these big milestone moments. And when you think about those milestones, you look back at everything that led up to that milestone, and then you look forward at the things that, that have come out of that milestone. So one of the milestones for me was uh, getting married to Melanie. And so what led up to that was our dating. So this first picture on the, uh, is of our dating. And uh, it's a few days before we were getting engaged, and, uh, but she has no idea it's coming. We've never talked about marriage. Um, we're just having a nice time in the sunshine in Austin, Texas, uh, and, 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 but we had gotten to know each other. We really enjoyed each other. The, the, it, was, it was definitely a committed relationship, becoming more and more committed, but it was all leading up to a marriage, a covenant that, that happened way, way, way back in 1992, uh, but then there were a lot of implications, like things that came out of that marriage covenant, and so this next picture shows some of those implications. Uh, which three kids, and we're, we're there at my oldest son Corey's wedding, who he's now entered into that covenant uh, of marriage. And, and so you, you, you see all, this, uh, all these implications that come out of this covenant that we made that would have never happened had we not dated. And so it feels a little bit like that as, as you're going through these covenants in the Bible. You're thinking about, wow, look what led up to that, and look at the implications of that. Here, so here's some of the covenants that we looked at so far. We looked at the covenant of creation. There's not a lot to look back from, uh, back to in the covenant of creation, although the creation itself is pretty impressive. And then God makes this covenant with Adam and, Adam and Eve that we call the covenant of creation. But uh, it doesn't take long for Adam and Eve to break that covenant. And then you have God coming to Adam and Eve and making a covenant uh, to get them back to paradise. And that we call that the covenant of commencement, and in that God promised, I'm going to bring an offspring, and that offspring is going to crush the head of Satan, and it's going to overcome sin and its effects. Uh, Even though that covenant has been made, still sin is proliferating, gets to a point where every intention of every thought in in Genesis 6 is evil in human beings, and we see a, a, a judgment come, a flood come. Uh, yet God preserves Noah and his family. We looked at this last week, and we call this the, the, the covenant of preservation. And so he kind of starts fresh. It's sort of like a new Adam and Eve that are, that are ruling and reigning over a, a fresh earth, right? But sin pr- proliferates again. It, it doesn't deal with the sin problem, really. Noah and his family are, are sinners, and so we see this proliferation in much the same way we see in Genesis uh, three through six, 
And it, it, it culminates in the building of the Tower of Babel. And so you have human beings using their technology and their intellect and really these image-bearer kind of capabilities to build this big, tall tower. And they're doing it for the purpose of making a name for themselves over and against God. And you kind of think, oh, maybe the flood's going to come back. Like, like things look really, really bad, yet again... But that's not what God does. He doesn't send a worldwide flood, partly because he promised that he wouldn't. But here's what he does after, after he confuses the languages and, and does give kind of a tempered judgment for that tower. He does this in Genesis 12. He just heard this read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he's starting something new. And out of that sort of de depraved humanity, he initiates with a family head, Abraham. Oh, he will eventually be Abraham. He's Abram at this point in his story. And he's not asking him to build an ark to preserve his family from a worldwide flood. He's inviting him back to paradise. Don't miss this. He's, he's inviting him back to the land of Canaan, which is really the land of Eden, geographically, if you, if you think about it. Uh, when Adam and Eve sinned and were thrown out of the garden, they were told to go away from that region. Genesis 3, 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And so he had said, get out, go away from this region. And here Abraham is being invited back to this region. And this land is more than just a land of milk and honey. He's, he's inviting Abraham back into right relationship with God and self and others and the earth. In a lot of ways, this is the most significant pivot point in the Old Testament. This is a moment where, where, where human beings are beginning to move back toward God in faith. Up to this point, they've been kind of stuck in this cycle of suffering and sin, suffering and sin, suffering and sin. And Abraham is, is leaving that behind and embracing this new uh, life. And so we learn some things about the path to paradise from Abraham. These are really important lessons. One thing we learn is what the path even is. We learn that from Abraham. And then in light of that, we learn how to follow the path. So we learn what the path to paradise is, and we learn how to follow the path. And then thirdly, I think we can, we can see how we can even know if we're actually following this path. So this is really critical, critical stuff. What is the path? How do I follow it? And how do I know if I am following it? So short answers to these questions. What is the path? The path is God. The path is God. It's God himself. How do, I, or how do I travel that path? By faith. I travel that path by faith. 
And how do I know if I'm traveling that path? Repent. Repentance. If repentance is part of my life, I know that I'm traveling the path by faith. So that's the end of the sermon. I'm kidding. Okay. So let's talk about each of these. So what is the path? The path is not a what. The path is a who. Notice that God says, I want you to leave your country, okay? So, so your, your like, geographical region. I want you to leave your people. So this would be more like your ethno, ethnic linguistic group where you feel comfortable, where you know the social cues, right? You understand the culture and leave your family. So, so not only are you leaving your geographical region and your, your language culture group, but you're leaving your very uh, family. My daughter Kayla is home from college. She's got fall break this week, and so she left her geographical region to some degree. Even the language is a little different down in North Carolina, okay? <laughs> All right. and, but she also left our home. So it was, it, was, it, was really, it was really a sweet treat to just have her back in Massachusetts, um, back where they know how to speak English. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. And back to our home. Like her walking in our house and saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm home. I'm in my place where I've, I've grown up. And so God asked him to uh, leave that. Abraham, leave that. And, and not just for a few weeks. For good. Leave it for good. And notice that he doesn't tell him where he's taking him. <laughs> he says, I'm going to take you to a land I will show you. Now, we know that that's Canaan. Eventually, we, that, that's going to be Canaan, and, and, and this is the path sort of back to paradise. And so what God is doing for Abraham is he's re-godding him. We said at the root of sin is always this de-godding of God. It's not just I broke a rule, I did something wrong, but at the heart of it is unbelief. It is de-godding God. And so what's happening to Abraham as, as he's getting back on the path of paradise is he's being re-godded. And so until, instead of telling him, hey, I'm going to take you to this particular geographical region, and here's a list of stuff that you need to do, have a nice life, he's like, I want you to follow me. It's very similar to what Jesus says to his disciples, right, when he says, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they leave their nets and their boats and their families and everything, and they, and they follow Jesus. And, and it's like, where are you going, Jesus? He's like, that doesn't matter. You just follow me. Right? Very similar kind of experience here for, for Abraham is, is that he's being re-godded, and this is the path. Um, how do you follow the path? You follow the path by faith. Abraham is like the poster boy for faith. He comes up multiple times in the, in the New Testament uh, for being a, a, a person uh, of faith. And this faith is, is this trusting in, this yielding to, again, not just some list of rules and do's and don'ts, but the actual person of God. Right? This, is, this, is, this is faith. And, and, and it's, it's hard to articulate the definition of faith. Uh, it, it's easier to illustrate it. And I think this is, this is why this is typically what the Bible does to show us what faith looks like. It's like tells us stories about people. And there's a whole chapter in Hebrews, in, in Hebrews 11, and I'm about to read a little portion of it. It's just people and how they followed God. Now, this is what faith is, and it just tells stories, right? And so the story that it tells in Hebrews 11 about Abraham, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, 
And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And so, how do you follow the path? Right? If the path is God, how do I follow the path? I follow the path by faith. And it is in God. Like, it's not just faith for faith's sake. I think a lot of times in our current culture, we say, you just got to have faith, right? I mean, that's a George Michael song from the 80s, but you got to have faith. But it's more like you just got to have faith that it's all going to work out. You just got to have faith that it's going to be good. Future's going to be good. Just if I just think positively, everything's going to turn out. I mean, what a sham. That is total bunk. I mean, come on. Just faith in faith? No, faith in God. But it's, it's, it's a totally different way of just, than, than just thinking things are going to turn out positive. It's like, no, I have a faith in the personal God, the living God, the one true uh, God. And how do you have faith in God? What, what does that even mean in the practical sense? Uh, well, you have faith in what he speaks to you. This is so prevalent in Abraham's story. Genesis 15, so we were at 12, now we're 15. Uh, 15, 4, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. See that? This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said... Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. All right, lots of said and word kind of language. But then look at six. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. Isn't that interesting? God is speaking to him, but he believes not just what God says, not just some, some, some kind of an abstract concept, believes the Lord, the person of God. And how God has revealed himself to him is in speaking to him. Uh, Derek Kidner, whose uh, commentary on Genesis I'm relying on greatly, uh, says this, The history of redemption, like that of creation, begins with God speaking. And so we see God saying, let there be light, and creation happens, right? But here we're seeing redemption happen, this, this saving of sinful humanity and bringing them back to paradise. How's he doing it? By speaking. He's doing it by speaking. And, and, and God's word uh, is not only something that we trust in, put faith in, but, but it's also something that brings about the faith itself. Listen to what Paul says in Romans ten seventeen. This is... This is so amazing. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As you're hearing the word of God, that somehow God's using that as a means of producing faith in you. 
This is why we read the Bible before we preach. This is why we preach the Bible. It's because we believe it's the Word of God that if we do this, that God somehow in the power of the Holy Spirit is going to produce faith in people's lives. This is why when you get together for your discipleship groups or your small groups, you're going, to get open, you're going to open up a Bible. You're going to read the Bible, the Word of God. You're going to talk about the Word of God. It's not the only thing you're going to do, but it's going to be a really central part of what you're doing. Why? Because we believe that that Word is producing faith. Somehow God is using it to produce faith. Yesterday we had uh, the men's event, Bacon and Bibles. There was a lot of bacon there. But there was also a lot of Bibles there, too. And it was a fun time, and we, we, we loved being outside, a beautiful day. But Tommy took some time with us to open up the Word of God. And why? Because we believe that Word that God is using to produce faith in the lives of our, our men. So you say, okay, got it. God's the path. Follow God by faith. I know how to follow God by faith through His Word. All right? Now, how do I know if I'm actually doing this? I think this is, this is important because I think we can fool ourselves into thinking that I'm doing this when I'm not really doing this, all right? So you might say, well, does, does this mean I'm doing it if I know a lot about God's words? Well, it's, you need to know a lot about God's words. That, that's going to help, absolutely, but that's not the only thing that needs to be happening. You say, well, maybe if I have like a, a positive emotional response, to God's words when, they're being, when I'm reading it or when I'm hearing it preached. I think that's actually one positive indicator that, that you are a genuine Christian is you actually love the Bible. You care about the Bible. You want to read the Bible, right? It's an indicator, but it's not the only indicator. I think that the main indicator that you are experiencing genuine faith in God is that you are living a lifestyle of repentance, that if you're genuinely following God, trusting God, yielding to God, you're in a lifestyle of repentance. Um, and this, when we think about genuine Christian conversion, we can think about it uh, needing to touch three different parts of the human being. The mind and the emotions, yes, absolutely, but the will also, right? And that would be where repentance comes in. Right? That it's not just intellectual, it's not just experiential, emotional kind of thing, but it, is, it gets down to the very will of the human being. Where you're much like Abraham, you're leaving behind the old life and you're walking into the new life that God is inviting you into. That's repentance. Right? You're turning away from the old and you're turning toward New. One, another way to think about it is you're turning away from the, the de-godded life and you're turning toward the re-godded life. And th- this, is, this is how you know you're experiencing genuine faith. I think, I think Jesus would uh, confirm this. Mark 1, verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying... The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here he is. He's preaching the gospel, the good news. And his understanding is the proper response to the gospel is repentance and faith. He couples those together. right? And, and 
Don't think that your repentance is saving you. Absolutely not. The gospel is saying that that grace is saving you, that, that what God has done is saving you. It is by grace alone, but if you're genuinely putting faith in that grace, you will bear the fruit of repentance. And so because of that, the, those two are coupled, that of repentance and faith. Does that mean you're perfect? No. No. I mean, Abram is not perfect. I mean, in chapter 12, after he is, is first received this like, call to go to a land that I will show you, and you know, one of his first things that he does is he ends up in Egypt lying to Pharaoh, telling him that Sarah is his sister because he's scared that Pharaoh's going to kill him because Pharaoh's going to want to... Uh, Mary, Sarah, right? So he's, he's got a lot of work. He's got a lot of work to do as far as this faith journey. But what we see in, in Abraham is that he just, doesn't, he just doesn't let go. He does not let go of God. He just keeps going, keeps going, keeps following. He, he sins. He makes mistakes. He, do, he does stupid stuff. He confesses. He repents. He just keeps, he just keeps going. He keeps walking the path by uh, faith. Uh, he definitely has times where he struggles with doubt, and with good reason. I mean, you, you know, God's saying, uh, Abraham, you, you and Sarah, you're going to have a baby, and he's 75 years old, and he's like, oh, okay. And then 25 years later, still no baby, and he's like, God, like you said I was going to have a baby. I, I mean, maybe you meant that I was supposed to like adopt one of my servants maybe, and then they become the heir, and, and then that, they can be the heir of the promise. And he, but, but what he does is he, he goes toward God. And he asks him, like, what, what's going on here? Could you help me understand? Could you give me some kind of confirmation that these promises are true? And the, and the confirmation that God gives, um, it, ah, this, is, this is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Old Testament, I would say. Genesis 15, 7 through 11, is how God confirms for Abram that he's going to make good on his promise. And so 15.7 says, he says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought, them all, brought him all these, cut them in half, laid each over, half over and against the, the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Isn't that a lovely scripture text, right? I mean, it's literally a bloodbath here. Like, he's cutting animals in half. He's putting them on the ground. One half over here, one half over here. And what he's doing is he's setting up an ancient covenant ceremony. And what would happen is that the two people that are going to enter into the covenant ceremony are going to together walk through these animals, right? And it's their way of saying, if I break the covenant, you can do to me the same thing that happened to these animals, right? It's like I'm making a promise. It's when you're in elementary school and you say, I hope to die, stick a million needles in my eye, I I, I promise, right? You're saying, "If if I don't do this, you can torture me and kill me, right? I don't think you really meant that in elementary school, but um, these ancient covenant keepers, they, they meant it. And it was their way of saying, I will, f- I will follow through on the covenant. And in the, the, the literal language is, you are cutting a covenant. So these animals are being cut. You're saying you can be cut if you don't follow through 
on the covenant. So, so Abraham does all the prep work. He sets this thing up, and then God doesn't show up, at least not at first. It seems like God's standing him up. And the birds of prey are coming and trying to eat the animals, and he's having to, like, shoo them away. And he's just waiting for God to, to show up. And at the end of the day here, God shows up. Genesis 15, 12, the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So he, he's telling him, he's predicting their time in Egypt for 400 years before they come back to the land of Canaan. And then he says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, sundown comes, puts Abram into some kind of sleepy trance, and speaks these words of promise to Abraham. He reaffirms the promise. And this is why we call Abraham's covenant the covenant of promise, all right? The covenant of promise. And then look in verse 17 what God does to affirm this covenant. And this, this is the amazing part. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land for the river of, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so here he is. He, God is walking through these animals. And he's using this, this uh, smoking fire pot, this flaming torch. Seems like it could be pointing forward to the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that leads the Israelites in the wilderness. It's probably some kind of an allusion to that. So it's his way of sort of symbolically showing him and him alone walking through those animals to cut that covenant with Abram while Abram is just like asleep. And so it's God's way of saying, is this covenant, I'm going to make good on this covenant. This covenant is going to stand uh, and remain forever, and it's going to do that because I'm going to make sure that, it, 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 that the covenant is good. Not because of something you're going to do, Abram, but me, I'm going to make this good. And if I don't make this good, then I'm going to die. You cut me if I don't make good on this covenant. And, of course, human beings break the covenant. And God does have to be cut in order for that covenant to be made good on. And this is what we see at the cross. We see God the Son taking on human flesh, not just so He can walk around as a human being on planet Earth, which in and of itself is pretty awesome, but so that He can be cut at the cross in order to make good on this covenant. Every time we see a blood sacrifice in general in the Old Testament, it's an echo. It's pointing forward to the necessity for a once-for-all sacrifice that we see at the cross. We saw animals being killed by God in the garden to make skins to cover the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. We saw Noah offering up a sacrifice of animals uh, that he had preserved on the ark you know, for several days. And now we see 
uh, also the, the, the cutting of animals in this covenant. And this is only the beginning of the blood and guts of the Old Testament. There will be many, 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 many blood sacrifices that will be offered up throughout the ages, all pointing forward to the once-for-all sacrifice made by Jesus at the cross. And so this, this cross is the blazing center of the Word of God. This is what you need to hear from the Word of God and respond to in faith. Again, I take you back to Romans 10, 17. It's an amazing verse. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You see what he's doing there? Now, he, he means, yeah, the Word of God. But he's letting us know the Word of God points to Christ. It points to the crucified, buried, risen, ascended, soon to return Christ. This is the Word. This is the blazing center of uh, the Word. And when we hear that Word preached, when we read that Word on, in, the, in the text or discuss it in a, a discipleship group, it is from hearing that Word that we experience faith. It produces faith uh, in us. And it is regarding us, this gospel. It's not just giving us some fire insurance where we get saved from hell. Right? We're, we're getting regarded. This grace that comes through the gospel, it, it, it's causing us to turn away from our degodded existence where through unbelief we were sinning and, and, and now we're, we're, we're responding to that grace by turning from that sin in, into a life where we are regarded. It may be that you've never done that before. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hear the word of Christ. He's calling you to, to repentance and faith. And when, when, when you respond to that call in, in, in genuine faith, you, you are saved from your sin and saved to a life that is regarded, a life where you live by faith from this point forward. And so if you've never received that good news of Christ dying for your sins on the cross, I encourage you to receive that today by faith. If this word that's being preached, this word that's being read is producing that faith in you this morning, that you would respond with saving faith. And you receive it as a gift. It's, it's not something you can do, but something that you receive as a free gift. Now, for those who've you, you, you've received that free gift, you've been living that re-godded life, you, you know that it's so easy to fall back into the de-godded way of living. This is partly why we need to, to gather weekly, gather in small discipleship groups and small groups to, to be reminded of, of our need to live the re-godded life on this path to paradise that we find ourselves in. Not, not so that we can sort of get saved again, but because we are saved. We have been saved from that de-godded life. And we want to continue to live in this re-godded uh, way. So even for us, as we hear the Word of God, we hear it read, we hear it preached, we hear it sung, we, we see it in a minute in the, in the breaking of the bread, uh, in the cup, uh, it, it causes us to want to repent and believe. And so my question to you this morning is, what is God calling you to repent from? 
Or perhaps, what is he calling you to move to? Right? Because this, this, this life of faith requires both. There's things that we turn away from, and they can be good things, kind of in good categories, but things that you know God is wanting me to turn away from, but then also things that he is asking us to turn to. Right? This is, we want to emulate Abraham. Leave behind. What is he asking you to leave behind? And what are the things that he's calling you to engage with and embrace in faith? This is the life we live as Christians, as disciples. And it is abundant life. When you hear that call to live by faith, you shouldn't think, oh man, I wish I could live the way I want to live, but yeah, I'm a Christian, so I have to you know, follow God and do hard stuff. No, this is the way to life. This is the path to paradise. We are reminded of the the grace of this gospel every time we come uh, to this table. And we're reminded on on the night on which Jesus is betrayed, the night before his death, he takes bread, he breaks it. He gives it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember the, the blazing center Right, of God's glory, of His Word, the Word of Christ. And every time we get exposed to that, repent and, and believe, repent and believe. That should be our response to that message. In the same way, He takes the cup after He blesses it. He gives it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Right? This is the new covenant. Like This is the big one. <laughs> this is the one that all those other covenants were pointing forward Two. This is the one. We stand at this covenant. We think about what happened on that day of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And we look back and we see all that led up to that cross. And then we look forward. He says, do this until I return. And we look at all the things that are ahead because of the cross. Right? And when we, when we hear that message and see that message and sing that message, we repent and believe. We repent and believe. So as you prepare to come up here to to receive this symbol of of His grace and His goodness, to take a minute to repent and believe. What is He asking you to turn away from? What are things that He is inviting you to trust in and to move forward toward as you follow the path, which is the person of God? Let's pray.